Hey, it's Nathan, and this is day 50 of the Bible in 90 Days. We're in Isaiah 1 through 13. Now, I don't usually do long introductions, but I'll tell you the book of Isaiah, considered one of the major prophets, is worth a longer introduction. So here goes. Isaiah's ministry spanned the reigns of several kings. Reading 2 Chronicles 26 through 33 will cover about the time frame that involved Isaiah's ministry. Tradition holds that the prophet was martyred early in the reign of Manasseh. Isaiah's book contains several well-known chapters and is saturated with the story of a God who loves radically. Isaiah began his ministry during Isaiah's long reign of 52 years, one of the most prosperous of Judah's kings. That's in 2 Chronicles chapter 26. One additional and important note, the prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah. Jeremiah, by the way, has a book that follows Isaiah's. They were not contemporaries. Isaiah died at least 50 years before Jeremiah's birth. While I'll say more when introducing Jeremiah, it's important to note that the social conditions between the two prophets are radically different, as is reflected in their respective ministries. Isaiah spoke in a time before Manasseh's devastating all-out pagan reign, and that seems to be reflected in a somewhat gentler ministry while Isaiah still spoke with unmistakable clarity. When we get to Jeremiah, however, we'll find his ministry is quite radical as it unfolds after Manasseh's evil reign, a time where the condition of the people had become nearly hopeless. Hopefully that brief introduction is helpful. You will find those basic, well, at least the uh, allusion to those basic details by looking in the first chapter of Isaiah and the first chapter of Jeremiah and comparing those scant details in those two chapters to additional details in the Chronicles and Kings. Chapter 1 of Isaiah opens with a rousing call to account of God's people whom, God says, have rebelled against me. The ox knows its master, the donkey its owner's manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. God's diagnosis is that his people are sick from head to toe with open festering wounds. Your country is desolate. Your cities burned with fire. Your fields are being stripped by foreigners right before you, laid waste as when overthrown by strangers. While a few survivors remain because of God's mercy, the situation is dire. God detests the people's religious practices, offerings, sacred assemblies, even prayers. Why? Your hands are full of blood, God declares. And what should be done? Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the case of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. This is followed by one of the most beautiful promises in the book. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. 
the chapter goes on to warn of calamity and yet still includes the hope of restoration. Chapter 2 begins with a promise of future restoration, with the Lord's temple being exalted and the people extending the invitation, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. Then the chapter shifts dramatically, declaring that God has abandoned his people and that the eyes of the arrogant will be humbled and human pride brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. The final words of the chapter are an urgent call to shift allegiance. Stop trusting in mere humans who have but a breath in their nostrils. Why hold them in esteem? Chapter 3 is a warning that disaster is coming because the Lord Almighty is about to take from Jerusalem and Judah both supply and support. As he takes his place in court, he rises to judge the people. His declaration, it is you who have ruined my vineyard. The plunder from the door from the poor is in your houses. What do you mean by crushing my people and grinding the faces of the poor, declares the Lord, the Lord Almighty? The women, too, are called out for parading around with outstretched necks, bedecked in jewels, while injustice continues to pervade society. Chapter 4 carries over from the previous and contains an incredible messianic prophecy. In that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land will be the pride and glory of the survivors in Israel. The Lord will wash away the filth of the women of Zion. He will cleanse the bloodstains from Jerusalem by a spirit of judgment and a spirit of fire. Chapter 5 begins with a parable, a vineyard representing Israel and Judah. After planting and nurturing the vineyard, only for it to produce bad fruit, the vineyard keeper turns to the people and asks, What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Then the vineyard keeper answers his own question. The vineyard will be exposed to devastation. This parable ends, He looked for justice, but saw bloodshed for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. What follows is a terrifying warning of tragedy to come on those who've rejected justice and righteousness. My people will go into exile for lack of understanding. Those of high rank will die of hunger, and the common people will be parched with thirst. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and champions at mixing drinks who acquit the guilty for a bribe, but deny justice to the innocent. The final verses of the chapter begin. He lifts up a banner for the distant nations. He whistles for those at the ends of the earth. Here they come, swiftly and speedily. These lines pointed to the imminent occupation by foreign forces, ultimately the Babylonians. Chapter 6, by the way, a chapter you must read, records Isaiah's commission. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. What follows is a magnificent description of Isaiah's vision of the divine 
throne room where angels declare, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. In the midst of this glorious vision, Isaiah cries, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the angels approaches him with a live coal from the altar, touching it to Isaiah's lips and thus cleansing them. Isaiah then hears the question, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? In response, Isaiah offers himself for the mission. Here I am. Send me. The prophet is then given a message to proclaim to the people until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged. What's the message he's to give? Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. It's a passage that certainly does not reflect God's wish for the people, but rather the people's own refusal to hear or listen, as noted earlier in the book of Isaiah. Chapter 7 finds us in the time of Ahaz, son of Jotham, as the kingdom of Judah faces an assault by the combined forces of the people of Aram and the kingdom of Israel. The people of Judah are terrified. God's message to the king? Be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. In the message, God promised, It will not take place. It will not happen. God also invited King Ahaz to ask for a sign, some miraculous act that would confirm the promise. However, the king refused to ask. But God decided to give a sign anyway, rich with messianic overtones. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. Before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. What follows these words is a sobering prophecy. In that day, the Lord will whistle for flies from the Nile Delta in Egypt and for bees from the land of Assyria. In that day, the Lord will use a razor hired from beyond the Euphrates River, the king of Assyria, to shave your head and private parts and to cut off your beard also. Chapter 8 introduces us to Isaiah's child, Maher Shalal Hashbaz, who became a prophetic sign to God's rebel people. For before the boy knows how to say, My father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the plunder of Samaria will be carried off by the king of Assyria. In this case, the prophecy specifically addresses the kingdom of Israel with its headquarters in Samaria and that of the Aramaeans headquartered in Damascus. The prophecy continued, Because this people has rejected the gently flowing waters of Shiloh and rejoices over Rezin and the son of Remaliah, Therefore, the Lord is about to bring against them the mighty floodwaters of the Euphrates, the king of Assyria, with all his pomp. Ultimately, these human floodwaters would overflow into Judah, reaching up to the neck. The nations are urged to prepare for battle. The prophet is then warned not to follow the way of this people, but instead to fear the Lord. 
the prophet responds, I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the descendants of Jacob. I will put my trust in him. The final warning in the chapter is not to consult mediums and spiritists, but rather consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. Chapter 9, another chapter you must read, shifts dramatically from the dark, gloomy, prophetic text of chapter 8, declaring, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned, even promising joy, and that the clothes of the soldiers would ultimately be fuel for the fire. Why? And these are beautiful messianic words. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. Sadly, this grand message of hope is followed once again by dire warning of coming calamity on the rebellious people because... In spite of all they suffer, the people have not returned to him who struck them, nor have they sought the Lord Almighty. So the Lord will cut off from Israel both head and tail, both palm branch and reed in a single day. In the midst of these sharp prophetic warnings comes this insightful passage. Surely wickedness burns like a fire. It consumes briars and thorns. It sets the forest thickets ablaze so that it rolls upward in a column of smoke. These lines again pull back the curtain of history to reveal that the disaster falling on Israel is not the arbitrary act of God, but rather the very fires wickedness lights for itself. There's a sobering phrase that occurs three times in this chapter. You'll find it in others as well. And it's this. Yet for all this, his anger is not turned away. His hand is still upraised. Chapter 10 begins, Woe to those who make unjust laws, to those who issue oppressive decrees, to deprive the poor of their rights and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people, making widows their prey and robbing the fatherless. Following the opening prophetic lines of warning, God turns to Assyria with a prophetic warning directed at them. Woe to the Assyrian, the rod of my anger in whose hand is the club of my wrath. Turns out that while the Assyrians bring judgment against the godless, they aren't interested in bringing justice, but in expanding territory. Thus, God will punish the king of Assyria for the willful pride of his heart and the haughty look in his eyes. The pride of the Assyrians will be brought low by a wasting disease upon his sturdy warriors. Under his pomp, a fire will be kindled like a blazing flame. However, in that day, the remnant of Israel, the survivors of Jacob, will no longer rely on him who struck them down, but will truly rely on the Lord the Holy One of Israel. Therefore, the Lord urges his people not to be afraid of the Assyrians because very soon my anger against you will end and my wrath will be directed to their destruction. Chapter 11, another chapter you should read, 
begins with another magnificent messianic prophecy. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. This branch would be filled with the Spirit of God and delight in God's ways. He would not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness he will judge the needy, with justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth, he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. And then the passage captures a day when peace will pervade the planet, including the animal kingdom. It will be a time, under the leadership of the root of Jesse, when the exiles of Israel will be gathered and the scattered peoples of Judah will assemble from every corner of earth. This will also be a time when the enemies will be subdued. Chapter 12 begins, In that day you will say, I will praise you, Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. And that's pretty much the theme for the rest of the chapter, which ends, Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. Chapter 13 turns to Babylon and the prophet's declaration against them. I'll simply share some lines from this sobering prophecy. The Lord Almighty is mustering an army for war. They come from faraway lands, from the ends of the heavens, the Lord and the weapons of his wrath to destroy the whole country. I will punish the world for its evil, the wicked for their sins. I will put an end to the arrogance of the haughty and will humble the pride of the ruthless. See, I will stir up against them the Medes who do not care for silver and have no delight in gold. Babylon, the jewel of kingdoms, the pride and glory of the Babylonians, will be overthrown by God like Sodom and Gomorrah. And that's all for today.